the Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded believers around the world to live the mission of God in their lives. All right, welcome back to Mission Life Podcast. Today we have Lucas Miles on the show. Lucas is the trusted voice in the American church and conservative Christian media. He's authored and contributed to multiple books and articles and is a frequent guest on Newsmax, Flashpoint, Fox News, and CBN. He's also the lead pastor of Influence Church and president of the Influence Church Network. Lucas is here today to share about his recently released book, Woke Jesus, The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. Lucas, welcome to the show. Welcome. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Good to be back on. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you are, I think, maybe the first guest we've ever had twice. So there we go. Oh, all right. All Man, right. That's, Very that's good. an honor. Yeah. Trendsetter today. So I'm excited about that. There you go. So woke Jesus. Um, you know, let's just start there. What what does woke actually mean? Can you give us a definition of, you know, how you define woke and how yeah. would kind of maybe the left or progressive left, how would they define woke? Can you kind of distinguish yeah, for what sure. those mean for us? So so ultimately from from my vantage point, I think from uh most biblically minded people, when they see wokeism, really what that is is it's code for cultural Marxism. Uh, it's some form of amalgamation of Marxist thought kind of blended together with a lot of, uh, um, you know, the radical left talking points and agenda items. Um, I, I think that uh, and when you when you start talking about wokeism within Christianity, that takes on something kind of unique in and of itself. Uh, and and we can kind of dive into that, you know, a little bit further. Uh, the way I think to be fair to people who, uh, you know, maybe would identify more with this term of woke in a positive. And this, you know, it, 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 long before woke ever became a negative term, um, it was embraced by people who held these views. They saw this as a very positive thing to be woke. And essentially what it was referring to would that, that they would have a enhanced consciousness or a higher awareness of what they would deem as systemic racism or some sort of systemic injustices in society typically driven, you know, uh, towards issues of race, sexuality, uh, country of origin, immigration status, these sorts of things. And, and you know, on the surface, that can be very, uh, it could sound uh, oftentimes very Christian, you know, wouldn't in Jesus in his hands and feet, uh, uh, you know, sort of aspects of the gospel, wouldn't he be concerned, you know, with these, these systemic uh, injustices against, uh, against certain people groups? But when you really start drilling down into this, what you see is that behind wokeism is this Marxist framework, um, really dividing the world between oppressor and oppressed, um, and uh, and ultimately taking the glory off of God by um, uh, attributing all aspects of persecution or any sort of uh, suffering in this life due to these issues of skin color, uh, socioeconomic status, race, et cetera. And so uh, it's very important for Christians to be able to discern the difference here because the nuances sometimes are 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 very minimal. Uh, and and it can uh, it, you know you can awfully oftentimes fall into deception if you're not very eyes wide open into this and aligning up every single belief with what the word of God has to say. Mm. Really good. You mentioned something that kind of stuck out to me that a lot of people might look at some of these things and say, man, that's that's how Jesus was. He was really concerned about kind of differences and and he wanted to bring people together. Speak more to that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you see wokeism kind of evolve more and more in the church, it's gotten more radical. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure that uh, you guys are well aware of what we'd refer to as the social justice movement. And 
the social justice movement started, um, you know, rather benign. It, it uh, seemed to have a strong focus on on, um, you know, taking care of certain people groups or making sure that people were clothed or fed. And now we have kind of this radicalized version of it that will say things like Jesus was trans affirming or because Jesus wore a tunic and that's a lot like a dress, he must have been trans himself. And, and you know, you have these really ridiculous ideas, but these things are being, you know, promoted. We have, you know, we're seeing videos on TikTok of people saying just ludicrous things like that that are getting literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views in some cases. And so, you know, for, for a culture that is becoming more and more increasingly biblically illiterate, um, it's, it's easier for, I think, uh, radicals on the side of wokeism to make a case to use Jesus as propaganda to defend their cause. Um, when you actually look at uh, and compare Marxist ideology with Christianity, the two are antithetical to each other. And although there's been attempts in things like liberation theology and, and black liberation theology to try to blend Christianity and Marxism together, uh, it, it never ends well, and it never doctrinally lines up with the Word of God. Jesus taught personal responsibility. Jesus taught personal stewardship. Marxism teaches seizing the means of production, uh, and that basically you're giving over to the state, or the state is, is really forcing in many times um, the oversight of everything from manufacturing to public health, and, and the, uh, the, even in some extreme cases, the rearing of children or the education of its citizens. These are none of these things are things that Jesus advocated for. Um, and and any sort of uh, attempt to point to that, I don't believe is being true to the biblical text. Mm. You know, and I want to add too. I feel like people don't realize the the gravity of the effect of Marxism and Christianity because we forget, you know, what happened to even the founders of the Voice of the Martyrs, Richard and Sabrina Wormbrand. They yeah. underwent severe persecution and people were thrown in jail if you didn't line up with the governmental stance pastors were then thrown into jail along with anyone who agreed with them and we're talking millions of people not just a handful so i think bringing that history to light is so important to remember so it doesn't get repeated now in our own country a man a great point i mean look you guys you guys are world travelers i mean uh between between the two between the three of us here we've been to a lot of countries right and and, um, you know, we've seen some of the atrocities around this world. We've heard the stories. We've talked to people firsthand uh, who have been affected by, you know, tyrannical governments, by uh, by socialist regimes. Socialism is responsible for the deaths of about 100 million people in the last 100 years. Uh, 100 million. That's a huge number. And, and, you know, each attempt at socialism or communism or Marxist ideology you hear there will always be that, well, it just wasn't done. It wasn't done properly before. If we would just do it right this time, then it would work. And so we're seeing the same thing, you know, in uh, with with kind of modern forms of wokeism and Christianity. And what's it led to? It's led to in America already. It's led to burning down of a lot of our cities. We've seen the rise of Antifa and and uh, BLM that really both driven by uh, by Marxist playbook. Um, that have done just wreaked havoc on this nation. And look, there might be legitimate injustices at times in society, but the way to fix those is never by burning everything down. It's never by deconstructing. It's never by, you know, uh, just dismantling any sort of, you know, held previously held truth. It, it's, you know, there are ways to improve things by just diving in without using this this Marxist playbook of of control, manipulation, you know, force in order to, you know, to attempt to get your way. Wow. So you talk about Marxism and 
you know, we a lot of us linked that with with communism, you know, and so who's driving this and how did we get here? Yeah. You know, so in the in the book, Woke Jesus, I it, it's sort of a historical deep dive. So really, the first half of the book is, um, you know, it starts in the I mean, arguably starts in the first century. But I spent a lot of time from the 1700s and on looking at the evolution of progressive thinking within the church after the Enlightenment. And during the post-Enlightenment period, there was a huge push to, you know, uphold these new values of the Enlightenment of human logic and reason. We had things like the scientific method and Darwinism, uh, the, you know, uh, philosophers like Kant and Hegel that became very well known at that time. And, and so the world was trying to kind of keep up with that. And the church was no different. And so specifically in Germany, uh, there was a series of biographies, extra biblical biographies written about Jesus trying to make sense of Jesus of the New Testament um, through the lens of post-Enlightenment thinking, meaning they had to find a way to keep the moral structure and the moral uh, relevancy of Jesus of the New Testament without uh, adhering to the miraculous aspects of the New Testament, because in this new post-Enlightenment world, there was really not a belief in miracles. Miracles weren't possible. They weren't uh, you couldn't prove them. You didn't have any sort of empirical evidence to be able to demonstrate that they were so. And so they needed to kind of reinvent this. So it's really some revisionist history, much like people are trying to you know, uh, do revisionist history to our Constitution or the scriptures today. We, we saw this early revisionist attempt to try to rewrite the story of Jesus um, while justifying, you know, his his moral teaching, but downplaying the miraculous side. These were known um, uh, collectively as the quest for the historical Jesus. Uh, probably the most famous of which was Albert Schweitzer's work at the end or the the end of the 1800s into the early 1900s. And and this really gave birth to things that we talk about in theology today, like critical textualism or or um, you know critical theology. Basically, this idea of we have to deconstruct a passage in order to get its true meaning. And there's certain aspects of that that could be beneficial in, in the study. I mean, I, I, when I read a passage of Scripture, I want to know who wrote it, what people did they write it to, uh, what was the original context, what, what are the words that they used in the original language. This is all helpful thing. But if we're using contextual criticism to try to discredit a passage or to try to attempt to change its meaning to, to be more you know, relevant to modern society as opposed to adhere to the original um, uh, original intent of the text, then this is the wrong usage of contextual criticism. And so uh, this was done extensively, and it, ultimately it's crept into a lot of our Bible colleges, uh, and it continues to shape a lot of modern theology, uh, the same ideas that were born in the 1700s. So it's sort of a long road to get here. Um, this, of course, you know, compounded into the social gospel of the early 1900s. We see the rise of, of uh, liberation theology and black liberation theology in the mid-1900s. And then later on in the 1960s, kind of onward, we had for the first time, uh, we've had heresies before throughout church history, but now we had heresies that were being funded. And I think the left realized that in order to win and really, you know, see Marxist and socialist ideas pushed forward in America, that they were going to have to uh, really divide the family and divide the church. And so there began major funding campaigns uh, that were, you know, or, or geared towards, um, uh, you know, really breaking apart some of our religious institution, education centers, and ultimately denominations, you know, to the point that we're at today where wokeism has been, you know, really invaded like a virus, you know, a good majority of the churches across this country. So what you're saying is they're essentially reviving Jesus and recreating him, reconstructing him into 
into how would you define that and how would you contrast that Jesus that they're reconstructing with what we would say kind of from a conservative conservative perspective, the actual biblical Jesus? Yeah, I think if the left were um, building Jesus today, if they were making him, you know, what they would need is they would need this Jesus to bow the knee to BLM. They would need this Jesus to, you know, open up his arms wide for, uh, um, you know, illegal immigrants. They would need this Jesus to be triple, va- uh, triple masked and double vaxxed. Uh, they would need this Jesus to really, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, be trans affirming. You know, we see all these things. This is the woke Jesus. And and so what we're finding right now, and I, I bring this up in the book, um, is that it's not really enough today to say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Because, you know, although from a biblical standpoint, that's sufficient. Uh, from a cultural standpoint, when you say that, you almost have to ask the question, well, which Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe in the Jesus of black liberation theology? Um, do you believe in the Jesus who of, of Aryan Christianity that we saw in Nazi Germany? Do you believe in the Jesus of the historical Jesus movement? Uh, that was more of this, uh, um, you know, great prophet, but not divine. Um, do you believe in the Jesus of Scripture? So we have multiple Jesuses that are uh, sort of available to us, if you will. Now, of course, there's only one Jesus that was truly a historical figure, and we believe as Christians that he was both fully God and fully man. We see him, you know, outlaid throughout the New Testament. That's Those are the, the most reliable documents and really the only truly reliable documents that we have on him, although there are other references to Jesus in um, uh, history and church history. Um, we, you know, and so as believers, we see this Christ as the intersectionality. You know, we hear this term intersectionality, awokeism, and it's basically, you know, used to talk about different levels of, um, you know, suffering and and how how you're affected by systemic, uh, uh, you know, oppression and racist policies. But Jesus was the true intersection. He was the intersection of the the divinity of Christ, the holiness of God. And the sinfulness of man. Now, of course, he didn't have any sin of him of his own, but he he intersected with our sin on the cross. He became sin for us in order to be a perfect sin offering. And so, you know, Jesus is the answer to injustice in the world. Jesus mm-hmm. is the answer mm-hmm. to any sort of you know racism in the world. Uh, and to look outside of him, to look for you know uh, for answers to this in Marxism, socialism, and in wokeism of various forms, and critical race theory. All of these things are going to come up short because they're built upon a faulty foundation. Only the Jesus of the Bible offers, I believe, hope both now and for eternity. Well said. So as we, you know, let's flip the script a little bit. Now, you know, we've defined the problem for the conservative Christian that says, I don't agree with this. I am holding true to the biblical viewpoint of Jesus and to kind of hit that world perspective. What do we do? How do we yeah. how do we defend this and and how do we get our voices heard? Absolutely. So so first off, you know, in in writing this book, woke Jesus, I mentioned in the introduction uh, uh, the early church father Irenaeus, and Irenaeus wrote a book called Against Heresies, and that book was written in order to defend the church against one of the early heresies uh, that that really rose up against Christianity, and that was Gnosticism. And in many ways, I I compare you know and really show how wokeism is a neo Gnostic movement. Um, but that might take a little bit longer than what we have today to go into. Um, but, you know, uh, my point in saying that is Irenaeus saw that the first century church was very ill-equipped to be able to dismantle wokeism by itself. And he felt that the reason they were unable to do so is because they didn't have a strong enough understanding of all the attributes of what woke, or excuse me, of, of I said wokeism, of Gnosticism, 
and, and so he saw there being a need in order to defeat Gnosticism that they had to understand it better. So he wrote against heresies, really an attempt to educate the church on these issues so that they could ultimately refute it and really uh, uh, see how it lines up against scripture. And I think the same is true for us today. We need to get better at understanding critical race theory, wokeism, Marxism, and these things as Christians so that we can recognize them when they're being presented to us, especially in Christian circles, refute them, stand strong against them. Additionally, I've created um, my organization, the Influence Network. We've launched an initiative, and the website is AmericanPastorProject.org. And American Pastor Project is an initiative for pastors and Bible teachers, uh, um, Christian show hosts, you guys would qualify as part of what you're doing here, um, that are able to sign a statement of biblical um, orthodoxy. Basically, they're saying when they become a signatory that I adhere to a Christian worldview based on historic Christianity as defined by things like the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, you know, ancient Christian sources. And also that with this, we are taking a stand collectively against wokeism in the American pulpit. And so this isn't a political initiative. This is a, this is a uh, really a, a theological initiative that we're asking pastors to stand with us. Um, and, and so this is, uh, this is something we've already seen several hundred pastors get behind us, as well as uh, Christian show hosts, Christian uh, curriculum developers, Christian school teachers, and these things that are all qualified to sign this. And uh, we're seeing a movement start to eradicate wokeism from the American pulpit. I think that every single person has to make sure that the church you're attending to isn't woke. Um, uh, uh, that you know, and how do you do that? Well, you can ask your pastors uh, certain questions. You can see if they celebrated the overturning of Roe. Um, you can see if uh, you know uh, if you know if they're what they're teaching lines up uh, more with critical race theory than it does with uh, with scripture. Uh, and ultimately, you can see if your pastor signed the statement at AmericanPastorProject.org, and if they haven't. You can take this to them. Maybe they haven't heard of it yet and give them an opportunity to sign it. If they won't sign it, it might be a good litmus test that you could be in a woke church and it might be time to go find someplace else to worship. And so, of course, we always encourage conversations with your pastor. But I think that the, one of the most important things we can do is make sure we're not funding woke church um, by continuing to give and support, you know, uh, something just because, say, they have a good children's ministry. You know, and speaking of church, like what recommendations might you give to families who are overwhelmed with parenting and the culture as it is today, who are just trying to, you know, live biblically, you know, what, what things can people who are just, you know, they're in the throes yeah. of parenting, busy, what would you say to to that group of people? Look, parents don't have an easy job today. And, and uh, there's, there's more challenges, I think, than ever. Um, you know, there's a lot of things before you could kind of trust, you know, your child was getting a good education at public school or something like that. And we see challenges that you know, today that, that, that certainly exists. Look, this, I, I wish I had a magic wand to just say, oh, if you did these three things, life would be super easy and everything would work. But, but I think that both the Christian life and the, um, the life as a parent is a total involvement process. Um, my wife and I don't have children. We've, uh, we've lost a few along the way and, and that's been, uh, you know, kind of a struggle for us. Um, but, but here during the time of, of, you know, of being on a journey to have children, we've had the opportunity to watch a lot of parents. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, you know, parents who have done a tremendous job, and we've seen parents that have struggled along the way. And one thing that I would encourage people is that you have to be intentional. Um, I think a lot about and have had a lot of time to think about this of what I would do, um, you know, if, if we were blessed with a child. And I think more than ever, I'm convinced that one of the greatest things you can do as a parent is impart to your child 
um, skills and knowledge and wisdom for life. Um, you know, you read through the book of Proverbs in the Bible, and it's literally sort of reads as a parent writing to their child. And I think that we need to really emulate that. You know, of course, we can use books like Proverbs to do this, but I think that our our uh, experience as uh, as parents should be one of continually looking for ways in every opportunity and experience in life to be able to impart to your son or daughter um, opportunities for learning, for growing in their knowledge of God. And ultimately, they were modeling that. Your kids should see you reading the Bible. They should see and experience you know, your faith. They should see how you respond in times of struggle. You should be honest with them through that process as much as you can based upon you know, some sort of age appropriateness. And so um, I think that that our children are watching today how the parents stand up, how they fight, uh, what they do. And we, I'm seeing a lot of parents that just kind of have their head in the sand. And uh, in the same way that a lot of pastors have their head in the sand. And we have to recognize that whether we like it or not, we are in an ideological war. Uh, and I don't I'm not using that term, you know, uh, to try to be extreme or to try to you know, make this worse sounding than it is. I really, truly believe that there is an ideological war that's happening. It's been going on for some time. Um, and uh, and I think it's very important that the church, that every single citizen, this nation, uh, that every single person that that, you know, has uh, uh, loves the Lord and wants to see good for this world, understand their role in that process. And sometimes that looks like raising great kids. And I think that's a that's a very, very important process and something we should never mi uh, minimalize or marginalize, you know, in today, today's society. You know, and just piggybacking on that question, too, as a pastor, how would you recommend congregations? Like, what would you say to people to support their pastors? Because it mm. seems, you know, pastors are leaders, as you yourself are one, and they often get a lot of flack for saying something or, you know, but I think I, Dan and I just believe it's equally important for people to be supportive of their pastors and leaders yeah. and to give that support. So how could people do that? Because pastors these days are in a very hot seat. <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it's, um, it's a difficult, it's a difficult job. And look, there's a lot of difficult jobs out there. Um, but, you know, I've been a pastor for uh, about really over 20 years. I've been pastoring the uh, um, been pastoring the same congregation for right at 20 years right now and uh, was ordained, you know, prior to that and, and worked in some other churches previously. But, um, you know, what I can tell you after 20 years in the same congregation, that this is not a job unless you are called. It's not a job for the faint of heart. And I think that, you know, people can support their pastor in a lot of different ways. Of course, getting involved. Um, being on a team within the church, volunteering, you know, uh, uh, making donations, uh, giving your time and energy, those things are all super helpful. I think you can also encourage your pastor, send them a note, remind them uh, why there's value in what they're doing. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, in, in today's world, every single week at church feels like it matters. And I just, I leave every single Sunday with just a great sense of purpose, thinking that you know what, we're, we're doing something here because this is, this is kind of the fight of our life. And look, the, and let's even not even talk about just the nation for a second. Let's just talk about the church. Um, you know, you guys have traveled to Europe extensively, uh, you know, places like Germany and Italy, you see these, these just beautiful cathedrals and church buildings and tourists flock to these places to see them, to take photos of them. But what we don't often think about is that those buildings are really the tombs of a once vibrant and thriving church community. 
that now, if for the most part, are mostly empty on a Sunday morning, that there's not that attendance there anymore. I be, I'm an optimist. I read my Bible and I believe that God wins in the end. Uh, the church is redeemed. You know, we spend eternity with him. Uh, we're we're victor, victorious in Christ. But that doesn't mean the church in America is always going to thrive. And we've seen the church falter in other places. And I think it's very important that the American church stands strong. And pastors need to hear people, you know, encouraging them to speak up for these issues. I hear too many pastors that are saying, well, I don't want to be political, so I'm not going to talk about abortion or I'm not going to talk about marriage. I don't want to turn people off. Pastors need to hear from their congregants that, look, pastor, it's not being political when you talk about abortion. That's a human life issue. That's a theology issue, not a political issue. Don't buy the lie that it's politics. Pastor, it's not a political thing when you're talking about marriage and sexuality. That's a biblical issue. That's a moral issue. We need to hear from you on this. And so if your pastor's not in the fight right now and they're just kind of maybe hoping this is going to pass over them, they need encouragement reminding them to be strong, to be bold, um, you know, uh, and, and that their voice matters during this season. Absolutely. Great point. So I just think it's really interesting because, you know, we've known you, Lucas, for a number of years, and it's, it's been an interesting journey because for a while you were almost dancing on the edge of what we might say liberal Christianity or Christianity, or people might have accused you of being far too extreme, preaching Greece, uh, grace. But now you're one of the ones holding the line and building organizations and kind of encouraging people to to link arms. Wow. Yeah. How how amazing is that? So so look, I mean, here's the interesting thing. I I would tell people, you know, in in the early days of our church, you're right. We were known for um, preaching uh, a, you know, a strong grace message. We were mm -hmm. preaching salvation by grace through faith without a doubt. Now, we weren't getting twisted off into, you know, weird, you know, kind of moral stances on various sure. issues. Um, but but at the time, it seemed radical because what the what the church world was really struggling with at, at that time, 20 years ago, when we first started, they were struggling with legalism. That was the mm -hmm. well, that was one of the major issues in the church was legalism. And a lot of people who have since deconstructed their faith, they deconstructed, you know, over kind of issues of legalism is what pushed them away to start with. And I think that's certainly an issue, you know, to some degree still today. Um, but, you know, although our theology hasn't overly changed, what has changed is culture has changed. Yep. And so now the battle that we're facing is not one of legalism in most cases. It's one of what I would call licentiousness, lawlessness, you know, this this complete moral failure. And so our message of grace is still available for the believer. Um, but but to those who are seeking to use grace as a license to sin, that's where we have to get stronger in clarifying that the grace of God is not an opportunity um, to to have a license for sin. It's not an opportunity to you know promote these things. And so you know we have to stand strong. And so you know balancing you know or I guess I should say living in the balance of grace and faith uh, and and or, or maybe this way of of law and grace it can be a challenge. It takes uh, takes a lot of you know. Um, uh, proficiency in the word, a lot of nuance there to be able to sort through that. But I think that when we're reminded that Jesus came in grace and truth, and that every single true belief should have an element of truth to it, of absolute truth, and it should also have an element of grace to it, of really this this radical love of God that we are so blessed to know and experience. And so, um, progressivism rejects truth in the in the elevation of God's mercy. Um, legalism rejects God's mercy in the elevation of his truth. Uh, true Christianity recognizes that you don't have to make a choice. 
that you can enjoy God's radical love as you celebrate his radical, you know, absolute truth, and that those two things are not in opposition to one another. So I think our ability to articulate that over the years has evolved and gotten better, I would hope. Um, but, uh, uh, but you know, it is, it's a unique time, and I'm just thankful to be where I am and doing what we do every single day. Awesome. The book is Woke Jesus. It just recently came out. Um, where can people get it? And yeah, what's absolutely. next? Yeah, it just it just dropped. We hit number one in the first week. We were actually in the top five hundred books on Amazon, uh, number one in three categories: church and state. Um, you know, and several others. I I don't remember what they all were. Um, but it is available wherever books are sold. They can also head over to my website, which is just lucasmiles.org, uh, lucasmiles.org, or they can hit americanpastorproject.org if they want to find out more about that. Um, I got a couple of things I'm working on. Um, we're uh, my show, Church and State. Uh, we're we're gearing up for hopefully a second season. We'll have some announcements about that uh, here soon, and where people can find that. Um, and a few other really exciting initiatives. I'll have to keep you up uh, on uh, maybe offline, but we'll be ready to announce here soon. Awesome. Well, Lucas, what an honor to have you on the show again, and uh, we're just conscious of your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a blessing. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. We seek blessing over what you're doing and just uh, favor and increased opportunities for you. Thank you. Thank you.